0: Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte.
1: Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to, how do I put this lightly? Maybe one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Yeah, I'm uh, on a, another level right now, a
0: cloud nine, if you will. I feel like I'm in Cloud City. I mean, I think it was just such a joy. So, on this episode, we spoke to Ian e. Convery who is one of the authors in this new anthology that came out on August 25th called The Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. And this is a new canon Clone Wars book, and it is an anthology with several different authors that provide different moments of retellings of Clone Wars episodes and Clone Wars moments. And we were lucky enough to get a chance to speak with Anne Convery who wrote the last story mentioned in this anthology. The story is called Bug, and I have to be honest and say that this is my favorite one. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed the Star Wars, the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark anthology book. I think the stories are so great, and it has, like, such a huge... Breath of episodes and you can always find a character I think that you are interested in that maybe it's written from their point of view or they're heavily mentioned or something and maybe your favorite episode is included. Among Anne, there are the other authors were Rebecca Roanhorse, Lou Anders, Tom Andelberger, Preeti Chipper, Zoraida Cordova, Sarah Beth Durst, Jason Fry, Yoon Han Lee, Anne Ursu, Greg Van Eekout, and... The art is by the lovely, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Kinesa Zaltosova. And I'm sure if you're on online fandom, you've seen some of her amazing Clone Wars art. It's and it is throughout this book. It's just such a gorgeous anthology. And Caitlin and I are really lucky that we were able to talk to one of the writers behind the story, Bug, which is a Night Sister story.
1: Yeah, and Bug is actually the only original story within the anthology, so it kind of sets it apart as well. And like Charlotte, I mean, the stories in this anthology are great, but I think once you hear this conversation that we have with Anne, you'll understand why Bug is our favorite.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I, I would say that there's a spoiler warning for this because the story, while yes, a retelling of sorts of a Clone Wars episode massacre um, with the Night Sisters that you might be familiar with. It does have a whole new spin. So I do fully recommend reading the anthology and getting a copy of this because it's really great. But just a forewarning, there's a little bit of a spoiler. I don't know, there's it's quite spoiler heavy because we talk about like the nitty-gritty of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say it's it's spoilers. So if uh, you're concerned about spoilers with the anthology book, then I would definitely wait to read the story and uh, then come check back in to this interview. I think the thing that we're kind of beating around the bush here, though, is that Anne is actually Dave Filoni's wife. And I think you guys know <laughs> that we are, uh, what do we say, like big fans of the animation department? <laughs> I think that's just like, a small aspect of our identity here online, just a small part of who we are. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so we were we were one. I think I think the story is amazing. Two, it was really great to talk to Anne. Um, and I can't express to you how obsessed I am with her now. I think Charlotte is too. And I think that I think that when you guys hear the interview, you're gonna understand why. When I tell you that Anne speaks our language, she speaks our language. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there were so many moments in this interview that I was like. Wow. I think I've said
1: that sentence before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like her approach to storytelling and like one, she is wicked smart and also has a wicked sense of humor too, which is just, is so fun. And she has a master's in psychology, archetypal psych, archetypal psych. I can never say it correctly. um, Mythology, fairy tales. Like she is an expert in this type of storytelling and it, and Again, as you guys know, that is also a very large part of what we talk about here on Sky Talkers. <laughs> and so, getting to like break down her story with her and kind of analyze it a little bit is honestly like a dream come true. It was just it was so much fun and to hear her really go through her story, decisions, her background, it was it was incredible and I I don't know, it was like I felt when we were recording it that we were like on the same wavelength you know what i mean it was just a really fun discussion and i'm so excited for you guys to hear it i think this story is really special the anthology itself is really special you guys know how we feel about clone wars and i i can't wait for you guys to hear it and read it if you haven't yet
0: absolutely so i i if there's nothing else to say i mean it's amazing so i hope that you all love this interview without further ado let's get started
1: so, who talks first? You talk first, I talk first.
0: So, we are thrilled to welcome Anne Convery to Sky Talkers today. Anne is the author of Bug, a Night Sisters focused story that is included in the newly released today anthology book, Star Wars The Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. Welcome to Sky Talkers, and we are so thrilled to have you here.
2: I'm so excited because now I'm on the podcast with the coolest name. Wow.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, we are super excited to talk to you. And we read your story, Bug. And I think Charlotte and I are both a little obsessed with it. We've been talking about it kind of nonstop. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah it, it's it's so great. And so we're really excited to kind of dive a little deeper with you about it and also about Star Wars and your expertise and everything. Um, so we know that you hold um, a lot. Lot of knowledge about things. You have a masters in psychology with an emphasis on archetypal psychology, mythology, and fairy tales, which are all things we really love to talk about on our show. Can you tell us a little bit more about your studies and expertise?
2: Ah, uh, sure. And I love that you call it expertise because I don't know that anyone has ever done that ever. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. Uh, you know. I did my undergraduate in English, and I was really into writing and teaching English and um, tutoring English. And I love all of that. I love words, but the things that I was always interested in, in English, in literature, um, were the psychological aspects of characters. And I would always like turn back to that. And with some professors, that's great. They're there for that. And other ones are like, can you just let it go? And, uh, so, I, so when I was, uh, poking around and like, I think I want to do more study, but what's the deal? And it was sort of bound by the geography, like I'm up here with Dave, and he's working at Lucasfilm, and we're not going anywhere. So what was um, available to me? What were my courses of study that I could follow? And I got real lucky in that Sonoma State had this depth DEPTH psychology program um, that was founded by a professor there who had a dream about it. And then like made the dream come true. And I'm like, if I'm going to be a part of any master's program, I'm going to do this wacky lady's dream. It's going to be great. And um, it was, it was really wonderful. So it's a, it's a really like, it's a two year sort of immersion program. You're in the same cohort of people. We got, I thought kind of lucky. And we were like an all lady, really small cohort. So we got to do like group therapy together and go on vision quests together and do all this experiential stuff. And um, at the same time, you're working really hard and you're reading all your Carl Jung and you're reading all your like Marian Woodman and Mary Louise von Franz and uh, you know, in the white goddess and all of the the myth making stuff and all the archetypal stuff. And you're working towards like a real thesis, like something that you can point to and be like, this is my part in the discussion of um, world mythology and, archetypes and how they inform who we are and how we're working with them every day. So it was great. Like the writing part of it was so hard because I was working on a was working on a novel project at the same time that my thesis came due. Like I pushed it right up to the end, like as far as I could to like turn that thesis in. Wow. So there was just a lot of like, I would change chairs in my office. Like one chair was for writing the novel and, <laughs> And the other chair was for like writing the thesis. And every time I sat in the thesis chair, I literally would just cry and say, Why <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I did it and, and that's part of the deal with archetypal psychology, right? Is you um, you walk through the fire and yes. then you come off the other side and you're a different person with apparently expertise. So um, does that, is that cover with you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is that a good answer? Did I answer your question?
0: You nailed it. You're I'm right. also, I was also an English undergrad and I didn't, get my master's but I'm I really do think that if I did it would be something similar to what you explored and you were totally speaking our language with those oh. names that you mentioned oh, good thing. and I'm sure Caitlin can relate to sitting in that thesis chair and <laughs> being stressed yes. out because she also wrote a thesis so it's
1: work man it, I'm still I'm still in the chair so um, <laughs> what are you writing your thesis on um uh, well I I'm an architectural historian so i uh in my getting my master's in historic preservation um oh, i just wonderful. i just have to finish the thesis
2: <laughs> you can't do it and you'll be people will call you an expert and
1: <laughs> you're gonna love it. Um, thank you <laughs> you
2: know Dee's, i, mean, I mean, dad was an architect and um it was wonderful to go places with him because he would just wander around and like tap on the side of buildings like to see what they were made of
1: yes but, I've been there. Oh my yeah. gosh,
0: <laughs> Caitlin does that. I can. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, when I was visiting Charlotte a couple uh, before the pandemic, and we were walking around in Boston, I was like, "Let's talk about this building. Can you see what's changed on it?" And she was like, "No." And I was like, "Cool, let's talk about it."
2: <laughs> Every city I go to, I go on an architecture walking tour because I find a a walking tour is the best way to like figure out a city, yeah, um, and just like knowing it's really like the psychology and the planning behind the buildings you know like i love chicago for that because it to me it's like the quintessential american city yeah it, it burnt down and they rebuilt it and they didn't rebuild it on like the same model you get in boston which is very much, um i know i haven't been to boston but my understanding is it's more built along those european lines you
1: know yes the, it is
2: yeah the buildings are crowded together and you're like you know it's – and it's sort of I – w- I don't want to say oppressive. This is very much the Californian talking. <laughs> but like, when I go to New York and I go to skyscraper cities, I'm always like, oh, my God, I'm so small, you know?
0: Yeah, no,
1: it's, it's very uh, cavernous. Yeah. It feels. I mean, I love
2: yeah. it. I love feeling small, but it's <laughs>
1: – This is like – this is my dream is to just talk about like placemaking and buildings and how cities evolve over time and then the things that people choose to preserve in them and what they don't choose to preserve, restoration, like site interpretation. I love it. I love it all. I
2: love it. Okay, we're gonna have to have more conversations, obviously. Yes. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I could I I that's what I, I talk about it every day and I could continue to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but going back to uh why we're here today, of course, to talk about your work. You know, Charlotte got her degree in English, but uh and obviously read a lot of fairy tales. I did too, but I also have a bit of a mythology background, just a little bit. And so you you like we said, you kind of hit like all the big things that Charlotte and I are both really interested in. So we're like, we have to talk to her. Yes. <laughs> So obviously, that's a big part of your academic life. um, And I think that bug is, you know, a a kind of myth and pulling on a lot of mythological tropes and fairy tales and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is Star Wars its own mythology? How do you view Star Wars as far as like a mythological story, fairy tale? Or do you? Do you think it's something different? Oh,
2: that's interesting. Um, I think that, I mean, it's definitely its own mythology. I think it really plays well with what I think of as those like core or base or prima materia materials of uh, of archetypal psychology, you know, like, George knew what he was doing and what he's playing with. And I think that the best Star Wars as it continues to be created and continues to evolve, always like goes back to that well, to a point. Um, because it's not like gods and goddesses and, and heroes so much. I mean, obviously, yeah, heroes, but it's like mother archetypes and father archetypes and family units and how those function and how those all live in our great unconscious and how you can have the best mom in the world, for instance. I'm not, not to get personal. I do have one of the best moms in the world, but you can have the best mom in the world in the world and she's still going to disappoint you because there's no way that any one person can live up to the multiplicity that resides in our collective unconscious of what a mother could be bad or good right
1: yeah and
2: I think that that's what Star Wars Star Wars like picked the best of it. It's like this eruption from the unconscious and I don't know how I don't know how George did it. There's this real purity to the construction of it and it has so much joy and fun in it that you sense when you're watching Good Star Wars, you know like mm-hmm. you don't question it. it just resonates and it's like watching um, a mirror unfold in front of you of like your darkest and lightest aspects and i think that that's why it has such staying power so yeah i think i think yeah it's it's deep mythology and it's it's deeper even than um it knows maybe
0: yeah i think that's absolutely true i think there's something within star wars that it takes something super deep and i think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's not it doesn't even know how deep it is or it doesn't i also don't think star wars really takes itself super seriously also like there's really a genuine fun about watching star wars and telling the stories within it Mm -hmm. um but also uh there's something that's so great about it it touching so many individuals and understanding what the story is doing um, I think like what you mentioned for the collective unconscious, what is this unlocking? How can this help us understand our own relationships to our parents, to our siblings, to our friends, to our our greater family, and then ultimately to ourselves? Um, so I think the way that you put that is just so great.
1: Oh, God, wow, that worked for you. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course it worked. My <laughs> <That> mouth <laughs> is just running on. <laughs> no, it's, I, think, I think Star Wars 2 is just, it's so accessible as well. And I feel like that's honestly like a huge piece of it just because of it being, you know, a blockbuster, but so many people are invested in these stories. And the fact that like Charlotte and I, for example, have a podcast where we just have hours and hours, you know, talking about these themes, but also laughing and having fun with what's being shown to us too. It really, like there, I feel like there's really nothing else like it. And I know there is, but like, this is my favorite. (laughs) I mean, I think y'all are really onto it when you're like, it doesn't take
2: itself too seriously. You're like, I mean, Chewbacca's a giant dog with like a bandolier (laughs) who like makes ridiculous sounds and other people seem to understand him, but I don't, but it doesn't matter because this is great. You know, like you just don't, you just accept it all because you know it even when you don't know it and it's just a blast.
0: Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. So Anne, what are some aspects of Star Wars that draw you in? And how did you begin to love this universe?
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, it's just that the thing is, is that I do, I love it in some ways for the more personal reasons of like why and how Star Wars changes my life or informs it, like that, it you know, keeps a roof over our head and allows Dave and I to do like good things and allow as like let us travel and meet people and like all these really tangible things that are artifacts of Dave being employed to make star Wars, you know? Um, so that's very practical. Uh, I've always liked it a lot. I didn't see it the first round, you know, I'm always interested in people's stories of, I was seven and the opening crawl came on the screen and I was forever changed. And I'm like, that's great. I was a teenager (laughs) and I saw it like a second time around in theaters. Um, and I took my mom actually who, I don't know if you've ever followed me on social media since I haven't been able to see her for a while, obviously. But her name's Betty Lou, and um, she actually hates being called Betty Lou, but it's a family name. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like poke gentle fun at her because I think she's amazing. So my Betty Lou posts are my favorite posts. And um, I remember I dragged her to the theater to see A New Hope when it was re released in like my late teens, I think. And um, I was like, Mom, this is important culturally. Like, I can't believe you haven't seen Star Wars. Like, I've seen it on video, but, like, we have to do this. And she fell asleep. <laughs> and I, was so <laughs> <mad>. <laughs> I was so mad. And she said, no, I thought it was great. I'm like, you fell asleep. <laughs> I once broke up with a guy for falling asleep during a film that I thought was important. So that's how that goes. It's but you- important. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this
2: is an important film. Our relationship is over. But, um... Uh, <laughs> But I couldn't do that to Betty Lou, so... Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember going and being like, this is just so fun. And, and like, when Dave and I got together, the prequels, like, the first prequel had already come out, and then we got together, and we went to go see Attack of the Clones in the theaters, and we brought Clone Crunch into the theater with us, and, like, our own, like, quart of milk, and we're, like, sitting there, like oh, we t- <laughs> and we're, like, wearing... I think he made like his own Plocoon shirt and he <laughs> made me like a shop T shirt and we were just like sitting there like eating our clone crunch waiting for it to start. And then by the time uh by the time like what Revenge came out, uh oh my god. That, that's when he made his whole Plocoon costume. And our <laughs> friend Giancarlo was Kit Fisto. And I was like, I don't got it in me, guys. I'm just gonna make some Leia buns and call it a day. And um we went around to every theater in LA. That we could like ostensibly go to that had a lineup, and Dave passed out old six inch figures. Um, Star Wars figures that he had because he kind of wanted to get rid of that collection, but he was like clo claws, you know, like he's just like walking around with a bag, dressed like <laughs> scaring children because, of course, his favorite Jedi is the scariest looking one. Um, but, <laughs> but
0: the all kindest also- heart, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was
2: his like own little like test because the kids would see him and be like, He's so scary and he's got those claws, but he has toys for me. <laughs> so you see these little kids dressed as Jedi like approach him like really carefully. And then they would like get to reach into the bag and pick a toy, and it was so great. I uh, love
1: that. It's like Star Wars cool. Santa Claus, but Ploucun.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. And and you know, and you know what, you know what the favorite was of all those kids. Guess what the favorite toy was when they asked for by name.
1: Uh, Grievous,
0: Jar Jar. Yes. George knew what he was doing.
1: Yeah, he did.
2: <laughs> yeah, they love Jar Jar. But um, I feel like what I've done is talk a lot about, like, real life things that have happened to me because of Star Wars and not Star Wars itself. Because it's great. Um, But I'm really, at the end of the day, if I'm totally honest with you, like, I'm a big Lord of the Rings nerd. Um, <laughs> and, like, my, my nerddom lies adjacent more to Star Wars. And it's really with it becoming just a, an overwhelming part of my life that my love for it has grown.
1: Yeah. You know? I think that I think that's so cool, though, that you, like, focus on the practical side of it, though, because, like, honestly, that's a big part of, like, Charlotte and I's whole story. Like, we became friends back in middle school, and we're, we're in our 20s now, and Charlotte was the one who introduced me to Star Wars when we were 13 years old, and... So I think that like that's a like the practical side of our friendship is like a huge part of our Star Wars story too. Yeah. And then um like that was the thing we bonded over the most, like when we were first becoming friends and like Charlotte showing me Star Wars for the first time, like in my parents' basement, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's then like awesome. Yeah. Oh my it-
2: god, I love that so much. <laughs> Oh, that's the cutest thing ever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) Um, And then, like, obviously, like, our our podcast has just, like, introduced us to, like, so many people, like, real genuine friendships and stuff like that that wouldn't exist without Star Wars. but. And like, we talk about Star Wars with other people a lot, but it's also, it's also something else too. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and being able to like go through the past, however long it's been 15 years that we've been friends now. And like, honestly, like the first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters was the Clone Wars movie because of when I became a fan. And so like, like going through the Clone Wars together, like that's a huge part of like our relationship and like our friendship when like Charlotte moved abroad for a couple of years and like that was the thing that we talked about the most and like honestly kept us connected for a lot of time. So I think that practical side is like so important because yeah, like these myths and stuff like speak to us so deeply and it's Mm -hmm. fun to analyze the stories and all that, but getting to go through the process of being excited with someone about something, whether it's online or in real life, that's like, that's so important too, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, I, it's so enhanced it. And I love that like being a nerd at that level is just this accepted thing now, because I, you know, when like the Harry Potter books were still coming out, I got, I had a professor McGonagall costume and I still have it. And I would go to like those midnight, like book releases dressed as professor McGonagall. And I would, um, take the sorting hat I had like the replica sorting hat and I would put dumb dumb suckers in it and I would sort <laughs> people into their houses per what color sucker they pulled out oh my gosh <laughs> it was so fun and like I used a bad Scottish accent and it was just the best and um it was the saddest when people would like pull something they didn't want to be <laughs> 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 can I draw again and I was like of course you can draw again like,
0: of course. <laughs> make your own destiny <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. that kind of stuff just so enhanced it and I know that there's a lot of talk and it's not untrue that there are some darker sides of fandom. Um, but overall for me, my experience with Star Wars fandom has been crazy positive. It's been so positive uh, and celebration. And I'm so bummed there's not a celebration this year, um, but celebration is like my favorite convention of any kind from like Comic Con to anything that I've been to, because that sort of focus on we all love Star Wars and we're here to celebrate it together has the best feeling to it. Like you just feel like every face that you encounter is a friend. And I've not had that before. I'm kind of halting on my words because I find it so unbelievable. But yeah. like every celebration experience I've had has just been like, and there's a friend and there's a friend and there's a friend. And they're like, and I got people I don't know. But just because they're, we're all there for that common purpose, it feels great. Like the Star Wars community is not like any community.
0: I totally agree, and I think that we're all really sad that there's not a celebration this week, right? I, yeah. oh, man, um, I I feel like when I go to celebration, it's like the best week ever because you get on this whole other level. I get really emotional, even when I think about it, just the amount of people that you meet, the amount of friendships that you form. And like you say, you just look around and you just see all these friends. And they're people that you might not have never, have ever met before. Maybe people you met online, or maybe people this is the first time that you see them, but you're bonding over something. This like this common bond that you have, and that's just watching this movie or this show or reading this book. It's yeah. awesome. And I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite moment that you... I'm sure you've been to plenty of celebrations. Mm-hmm. Do you- have a favorite moment that you've witnessed at celebration um well my favorite
2: thing generally at celebrations since it started happening is finding people dressed up like cosplaying as Dave (laughs) and going up to them and saying I'm his wife and then they go you're not his wife and I'm like who would say they were his wife (laughs) wife?" and then they're like really and I'm like come on and then I'll take pictures with them and it's my favorite and then I send them to Dave and I'm like here's another one
0: yeah. This is pretty embarrassing, but Caitlin and I have a yeah. Dave cosplay, too. We did it last year. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it's, we have Thank a you. dress. <laughs> and <laughs> we'll send you a picture afterwards.
2: I, um, I did like a, like a Zoom happy hour with some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, OK, and it's like dress up. So it'll just be a surprise. Just come as like whoever you want. And I came as Dave and everyone was very distressed. Like, all oh, oh, my me. friends. <laughs> I'm like, candy because I have access to all the real stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! The truest yeah. Dave cosplay. It was very true, you know.
2: And I was making, like, trying to make all my best Dave faces. And,
1: um, <laughs> it I the love best that. ever. Did,
2: did you do like a beard situation too? Yeah. yeah, I did like a makeup beard. And oh my gosh, it's, I had to be like like retro Dave before his beard started going really white. Because I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm just gonna be like, you know, Dave eight years ago.
1: <laughs> I. I'm obsessed with that. I love that so much.
2: It's so fun. Like, it's my favorite thing. I love, I meet, like, little little kids dressed as him and, like, weird older guys dressed as him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should take the selfie. And, uh... <laughs> but other than that, like, to answer your question also really, really truthfully, um, is when I, in London, the celebration in London, um, we had some friends who lived in York, take the train in for the day and uh that her daughter was like i'd really like to go to that carrie fisher panel
1: and mm-hmm. i was like
2: oh okay yeah we'll go to the carrie fisher panel and um i hadn't thought about it I, like it wasn't really on my radar and i was like just sort of taking it for granted and we went to go see carrie fisher talk and she had little gary fisher with her and um warwick davis was doing the interview and she was just such a delight and so smart you know and i was watching my friend's daughter who's like in her early mid-teens at that point just eating it up like eating up like this is this is the lady plays princess leia and she's like great when she's princess leia and she's great when she's just herself and so when we lost her which really wasn't all that long it felt like after that um i was so grateful that i'd gone to that panel yeah to see her just like talk live and be her and drop all of her years of wisdom from working in Hollywood and, and being part of the rat race, you know, and keeping it real. She was great.
1: Oh yeah. She, she definitely was. Charlotte and I were lucky enough to meet her at celebrate in 2010, I think Aww. at Celebration Orlando. And it, it's, it's like, honestly one of those things that you just cherish and even just getting to see her speak live. Cause that we were able to do that at Celebration before it, mm-hmm. it just, it, it means so much and i've never had a celebrity kind of affect me that way um when when she was still with us and 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 after too so i love that i love that memory
2: yeah oh so good
1: yeah um, okay so to to kind of segue into talking about Bug, because I think that's kind of what we also want to celebrate with you okay. today, because stay, the, the day that we're recording this is release day. I know, so. you guys are the first to like, celebrate it with me. Yeah, so Yay. congratulations.
2: <laughs> oh my god, thank you.
1: I actually just, sorry, I walked across the room to pick it up, because
2: I have a copy now, and I'm like, oh, look at it. <laughs> the,
1: the cover so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the, the book itself is, is very beautiful. And um, like we said at the top of the show, Cheryl and I have been particularly obsessed with your story um, since we were able to read it just a little bit early we were really lucky um <laughs> Charles and i are both really drawn to like weird force stuff that's kind of one of our favorite things about star wars and the night sisters are kind of such an enigma and they're so fun and the magic that's not the force but is magic you know like that whole kind of discussion yeah. is so great and i love that you got to explore like a different side of that in your story what drew you to even want to write about the night sisters Yes. It's it's funny because we had this ongoing conversation. Dave's really, Dave is
2: like my biggest proponent, but he's also Dave and he's known me forever. And we have like a really funny, like combative and loving relationship at the same time, like <laughs> a long standing couple does. And um, he goes around, he says this thing, and I'm going to say this thing, but it's not because I believe it. I'm just reporting what Dave says. <laughs> Dave says to people, well, Anne's the better storyteller than I am. And uh, that is not true. Um, but he says it, it's very sweet and kind. Right. So he goes around and he's seeing this at work and finally someone at his work goes, well, would Anne want to tell a story? Right. And he comes home and he's like, yeah, they want to like hear what you would like to do. And I was like, Dave, you go around telling people I'm a better storyteller than you. And then you come home and you're like surprised that people are like, well, what would Anne like to talk about? <laughs> so I had to give him a hard time about that. Um, but immediately I was just like, "Witches, is night sisters, which is, um, <laughs> 'Cause it's the way it's my way in, really. And I loved what Katie Lucas did and it opened a door like into like all the crazy Night Sisters lore that goes way back actually. Um and that we we see in in games and um video games and tabletop games and role playing games and in a beautiful book um that Trisha Barr wrote. It's a, I can't remember who um did the art in it, but it's this gorgeous book. I don't know if you've seen Trisha Barr's book. It's in French only, sadly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like used it. I used it um as a reference, you know, and I told her I'm like, Trisha, thank God for your book. It's so good. Um and so witches were a no brainer for me. I'm an old goth kid from the San Fernando Valley of California. Like uh I've been parts of I've this is this is where we go deep. I've been in Covenant. <laughs> I've been a druid. I've been all the things, and like then the natural sort of I think growing up um, exploration of that is I did archetypal psychology, right? <laughs> so, so it all comes back around to the same thing, and uh, and they're just so creepy. And I thought there was so much to explore there, and I love the Night Sisters, and I love Talzin, and I love how. Kind of power mad and unforgiving, she can be. And then I did a lot of texting um, with Sam were about, like, how do you think she really feels about Maul? I was like, do you think she really cares about Maul, or she's just using him for her, her own, like, revenge game with Duke? Like, I have yeah. <laughs> so back and forth. And Sam wants to be like, I think that she cares for him. And I'm like, I think she doesn't give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We had different ideas, but it was just really fun to bounce it off of him and talk. And uh, and then my deal, my deal with that stuff is, this is just one aspect of witches, right? Where they're like a little scary, uh, or a lot. They're yeah. manipulative of men. Um, Love it. Like, more like <laughs> unforgiving. And I was like, that's all great. I'm into that. I can play with that. But I'm like, but also like, sitting there. Doing spells you've got this magic urn right and like people are (laughs) swimming in the magical icor and I'm like who makes that urn what do you guys drink out of who built your fortress these are the things that I think about which are maybe not the things that everyone's thinking about when they're watching a story um and so I was like well what if I what if I made a maker um like and what would she be like what would she look like um and that was sort of the seeds for what about someone who doesn't make war but just makes actual practical things? What would her job look like and what would her life on Dathomir be like? Because I feel like it would be a lot different than your average night sister.
1: I think that's so cool. I love that. I have to say, when I was reading it initially and you call Falta the hearth dweller, mm-hmm. I was immediately thinking about like Greek mythology and like Hesia yes. and Hephaestus. <laughs> yes. And- yes, yes. <laughs> that's the idea oh my god amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that um and then like even even the ichor which I know has been in canon before but like that's the blood of the gods and you just I think like for such a short story you painted such a vivid picture of this like very kind of creepy I mean like Falta wears all black and she has a black tuca cat like it's so witchy and I love it <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's so great. And I have to say too, like if we're talking about um, like influences and kind of what I was thinking about when I was reading it, the whole scene where Falta's kind of hypnotizing Bug um, really reminded me of like Narnia, like the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe oh, when really? Mr. Tumnus like lulls Lucy to sleep. <laughs> oh my god so you know what you're so, you're bringing stuff from my unconscious that I wasn't even
2: thinking of but you were so spot on like I can't even get away from that I won't deny that I'm sure <laughs> that was like in there and granted he was, um, granted she wasn't like I'm gonna pay, play this Pam flute yeah <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. made it a little creepier. I hope, although pant flutes are creepy, especially when it's like shirtless James McAvoy playing it. Exca- yeah,
1: me. and and the lion and the fire. Yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> creepy. Narnia. I wasn't a Harry Potter kid, but like Narnia was my thing growing up. Um, oh, Narnia is my jam. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, love. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and the thing is, too, is that I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about Narnia, but I was definitely thinking
2: about the Greeks because I always think about the Greeks. I can't not think about the Greeks. Um, yeah. So, so that's definitely in there, so you're like catching me on like all my things, you know yeah. some <laughs> purposeful and some of which right now, I'm like, I need to talk about that in therapy because I don't.
1: <laughs> what does it mean that I was internalizing Mr. Thomas and the pan flute? <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. To be honest, it was like when I was first reading it, I was thinking of Hephaestus, and I'd kind of forgotten about Hestia, which yeah. made me feel sad. I was like, I should never forget about Hestia.
2: That's hard <laughs> because that's just it—is that she's sort of this like quieter figure. Um, but in mythology, I'm always like drawn a little bit to those those quieter figures, so like Hestia or. Um, not that she's so quiet, but Bridget in Celtic mythology, who's also like sort of the keeper of of the cauldron, you know, and um, she's Mm. the the goddess of Smithcraft. There's a goddess of Smithcraft in Celtic mythology. It's not like Hephaestus where you have the god and it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, So yeah, those things are always in my mind because I'd say that Greek mythology in particular was my first love and I would We had, like, this weird, long, narrow hallway in the house my mom still lives in, and it had a bookcase in it. And I'm like, why do we keep the bookcase in here? Even as a kid, I was like, why is this bookcase in here? But we had, and this really ages me, a um, complete set of, like, the World Book Encyclopedia. And I would sit in the hall, and because it was, like, a narrow, long hallway, I would, like, put my feet up on one side of the hall and my back up on the other, and, like, just tear through all of the encyclopedias reading about the Greek gods. Like those are my favorite things to read about. Yeah. So that's real deep in my DNA. And then from there we go to Narnia and from Narnia we go to L-O-T-R. <laughs> and like, you know, that's the, the provenance of it. Yeah. The trajectory. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. I, I love that so much. I was – Egyptian mythology was my thing growing up and Greek mythology was kind of a later edition. But I think, yeah, whenever I'm reading stories like this, I always – Like, Ikor, I couldn't remember what that was initially. And I was like, I know this is in Greek mythology somewhere. I just have to go back and find it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) buried inside of my brain, too. (laughs) Yeah.
2: yeah. No, it's in there. It's in the – and it's the whole thing. It's like, that's what suffuses Dathomir, right?
1: Yeah. I wanted to
2: lean into, I'm like, well, if I'm going to have a witch, she's going to have a cat. And that's how that's going to go. And I don't care if that's – I don't care if that's like just too obvious. Like I'm gonna. No, she
1: has it. to have a cat. It was yeah. so fun. <laughs>
2: yeah. you gotta have a familiar, and I mean, it could have been anything, but let's make it a cat. Yes. Yeah,
0: why not? It's right there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your draw in creating a mother-daughter story? That's a good question.
2: Um, um, I worked. I've been working on another story for a few years, and it's more an absent mother, um, father-daughter story in some ways. And I think that I then was pushed to wanting to explore more, more overtly the mother daughter relationship. Um, I don't care what anybody says, what you write or what your art is. And that can be also writing a thesis about architecture. um You're in it, you know, and your psychology is in it and you're working through things, whether you know you're working through them or not. And I think it's always important to check back in. Like, where am I on, on my journey now? You know, and I am not like a human mother, right? Like I've got kids, which I will never, I I mean, kids that are animals. I will never call them fur babies. That's just not happening. (laughs) Um, But I don't have like human kids and I don't want human kids. I love being an aunt and I love, I love children and working with kids, but I just, I'm too selfish and I've got my own things going on to have them in my life life. Um, So my creative impulse is writing. A lot of the time and and that's what I'm giving birth to and as you know from writing things it feels like a birth if, even if it feels yeah. more like the birth of Athena from Zeus's head right <laughs> like you're like oh my God, I can't do any more today um so so I think that, that I wanted to explore that more overtly like what does it mean to be a creative body um but choose not to do the one act of creation that is like your biological default. Is that Mm. too much?
0: (laughs) No, that makes perfect sense to me. I I think think that's what I was doing. Yeah. That's I, I think that whenever anyone, I think art is always so personal. Mm -hmm. And when, even if you think that you're like writing from an objective stance, like you just, you can't like, you have to pour yourself into it. It must come from you. And I think that we do work things out through the way that we write the way that we read what we consume and what we like are attracted to in our media as well
2: yeah agreed (laughs) well I mean it's I think it pays I mean look we can just kind of go along on the surface and enjoy the things and consume the things that we like and chat about them but if we're not introspective about them like we're losing out on like a whole aspect of what art provides for us as human beings right I completely
1: agree Yeah. It's just like, it's unlocking another layer of enjoyment for the thing that you're consuming. Yeah. 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 Like,
2: you know, like I'll just sit, (laughs) Dave's a lot better about it. Um, and he's become a really sensitive watcher of things, but you know, I like to sit and pick apart things that I'm like, well, that's bad feminism or like "That's (laughs) that's that's this, right. Um, And people are always like, can't you just enjoy a thing? And by people, I just mean a few rotten dudes most of the time. (laughs) Just enjoy this. You know, and that's not Dave at all, but other people. And um, I'm like, but I am enjoying it. Like, I can be critical of something and still totally enjoy it, which is a project as you get older, you look back and you're like, oh, I see where this had ideas embedded in it that I would never want to take on now, you know, that I don't now, but I can still appreciate it for what it is and talk about the ways in which it's problematic doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you totally abandon it. It in fact gives you a jumping off point for talking about what is good and what is bad about it. And you know, how we're, I don't know, human beings with failings that can learn and grow and be better.
0: Crazy.
1: I don't, I I don't believe that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how, how else do we move forward without analyzing what we love and I think that it's I'm I'm totally with you sometimes I feel like people are like Charlotte can't you just turn off your brain and sometimes I'm like that for myself too or I'm like I can't witness Caitlin knows this I can't witness a character like going into water like taking a swim without being like oh baptism, baptism. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like always and I can't I can never avoid it mm-hmm. and things like that are just so embedded within me in terms of analyzing stories and that's like the most simple thing ever you know but I completely relate to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't make it, it's not like we're having fun. My, like, I mean, my best fun is being critical of stuff, Same. which Dave to his undying, like sadness knows, because <laughs> I, I love being critical of him. It's like my best
1: sport.
0: <laughs> but I'm sure he appreciates it because I think it pushes him forward, right? I think, <laughs> Like to end some level, he must. Some, some
1: days more than others and some days less than others. <laughs> He gets very, like – he can be very, like, uh, about
2: it first, right? Which I don't blame him for because it sucks when you're doing a thing and you're being creative and someone comes along and says, you didn't think about this. Like, that's the worst, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But then he usually comes back around. It's great. It's just, it's like the pattern of our conversations is, I'm going to say something critical. I'm going to be butthurt about it. <laughs> I'm going to go to the other room and eat a donut. Me too. And then – we come back together and have a great conversation
1: <laughs> that's marriage <laughs> sure, neither charlotte and i are married and like we're taking notes
2: yeah look forward to it
1: <laughs> i i i like the cycle i like the the cyclical nature of, of your relationship as far as critique goes <laughs> Kind of going back to like Falta and Talzin and the the whole um, mother-daughter aspect of it. One thing I really loved about this story was, you know, Talzin, like you spoke about earlier, she is... Um, kind of this powerhouse uh is she like who, what are her motivations who is she really there for is it only herself whereas Falta you know she's very much uh there for Yena in the end like that's that's her motivation it feels like and I love the comparison between the two of them and, but then also like the parallel I suppose to that is the like the burial pods which was so intru- And like we've seen those obviously in Clone Wars but like seeing you write about them was really great but then the the flip side of that now is that we have Yenna like Falta creates life out of what was a burial pod, which I think is such like a cool comparison (laughs) to do. Was that something that like kind of came naturally in your writing process? Yeah, you know what, when that that idea really hit, because I was, so the truth of it is,
2: right? The reason I think I have a standalone story in this book, just let me take it back for a minute, (laughs) is that I did not understand the pitch. And I didn't realize that they were going to be told from points of view of different episodes.
0: So I just came
2: in and was like, hey, Jen Heddle, uh you know, head of Lucasfilm Publishing, here's my story idea. And she was really gracious and great. And she's like, well, it doesn't really do the things that the other ones are doing, but we'll just have it as kind of a standalone. And I'm like, oh. Did I not read the assignment properly? Like <laughs> basically what that was. Um and I did end up, you know, tying it into Massacre. So I think in that way it it is in line with the yeah. rest of the book. But um I uh was so interested in the in massacre itself. Like those zombie witches are horrible. Mm-hmm. And they're just like these, they're just filled with that magic that Daka generates. And I'm like, they're zombies, they don't have their own will. They're just they're just a distillation of something that was already like a warlike force into only that impulse. And I thought that there was a parallel there too, kind of with the clones, in that their creation was only for war. And and what I think that the Clone Wars did so beautifully over its like long like run of episodes is we got to really see the humanity of these clones, and just because they were manufactured rather than born and and had a purpose um that was not something they chose you know we see that they're very much individuals and people Mm -hmm. and then order 66 happens and it's sort of like the same thing as like daca sending out this this energy to to get this army of zombie witches together and it's it's horrible right it's horrible Mm -hmm. and uh I, I was like, well, what's the opposite of all that? <laughs> <laughs> um, <it's laughs> what thinking, right? And then also, I'm giving you like a big look into the process, and and you can't see me right now, but I'm like self soothing, rubbing my head because there was so much going on, <laughs> and it was like not easy to write for me. Ever, I wish it were. Um, I had Shmi's on my mind, Shmi Skywalker on my mind, <laughs> yeah. um, because I think that her story is so interesting and her idea of um Anakin's like provenance his birth right yeah where she's just like you know he was just born um and you're like what is that and if you know like you know your mythology and not just like your Christian mythology and like Virgin Mary and all that like there's um there's you know reasons for that in archetypal mythologies but I was like also I don't love and never have super loved that story the miraculous like well i guess i'm having a baby now (laughs) and i loved the idea of like what if we have this woman who makes take her own agency to make her greatest piece of art you know and and so those are the two things that i'm working in opposition to basically right or or alongside like um the zombification of like these these putrid bodies being used um to do battle um, the clones and their their use, you know, and their the lack of recognition of their humanity by so many, including even those in the Jedi, right? Yeah. And then me and this story of like, I don't know, I, I was out of my hands, and now here's Anakin, and he's great at pod racing. Please take him away. You know, like. I don't, um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. There's just so much going on where things are out of people's control, and this is this is getting deep into my psychology because I'm like, I love control. Um, so I think it. Was I do a- too. Pleasure. so i just yeah. want to say that and we all just like I... raise our hands who
0: likes control
2: sure. Yeah, yeah. Can confirm. <laughs> <Me too>. yeah. <laughs> so i was just like i'm gonna give fault all the control here which is why when she loses it because of course you're gonna lose it because kids grow up um it's really heartbreaking for her because she had it she did it she loved it it was all her choice and i know it's just like a, a pretty quick paragraph where she's assembling all of the ingredients to make yena Um, but in my mind that takes a long time, you know, it was like a real labor of love.
1: Um, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about Falta right now. and I'm actually (laughs) feeling kind of emotional. I haven't thought about it. Uh, Her her story is emotional. Like she lives by herself and then she sees like the, almost like she sees this imbalance, but also sees what she can do in it and like makes Yenna and then loses her and kind of loses herself in the process too going to find Yana yeah. as well and, and what happens with Bug and, and that whole situation of, like, I forget what the line is that you wrote, but basically, like, all she had to do was ask Bug instead of, like, yeah. hypnotizing her and it could have been her's Anyway, like she didn't have to do this other thing.
2: Yeah, like she's still learning the lesson. You'd think she would have learned yeah. the lesson, like if I had just kind of given like a looser rein on my daughter or let her do the thing. And then she's yeah. doing it again. Like I, I must make, I must manipulate. So yeah. It's not just pure, like I just want to create a love. Because it's never that easy, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh
0: yeah,
2: I,
1: <laughs>
0: I think it's so brilliant that you mentioned the clones because mm. it's something that Caitlin and I actually talked a lot about, especially with this last season of Clone Wars. I think that The story just ended on such an amazing note where you really understood that, uh, you know, a major purpose of telling the story of the Clone Wars was to, you know, peel back that helmet of uh, the clones and realize that there has to be a humanity there while also you have this sort of loss of humanity with the Jedi and it, it, it goes side by side. And I think that I hadn't thought about that, but I think to your point about like, Quote misunderstanding the assignment (laughs) to me. That's like the reason why your story is. I'm gonna just say it, my favorite out of the book because I feel like it. It tells me something that is so in line with the Clone Wars, which I think is the assignment, right? But also, (laughs) I think it also talks about the act of telling a story, and because of that, I think it ends the the anthology on such an amazing note. Of I don't know. I think. I, I just really enjoyed the way that you crafted a framing narrative and were able to tell a story within the story while also commenting on the importance of stories. Like you even have a line about talking about you know how do stories begin uh, once upon a time And was that conscious that you were commenting about the act of telling stories? It feels very intertextual.
2: Well, first of all, if my voice is muffled, it's because I'm bad at taking compliments and I've pulled my shirt <laughs> over my head. Because that was a whole (laughs) thing of really nice things that you just said. But, um, (laughs) yeah, no, that was conscious. Um, Because I do believe really, really strongly in story and the power of story. And and that goes both ways, both light and dark, right? Because if we tell ourselves a narrative and we're not honest with ourselves, that narrative can have really dark ends. Um, But if we take darkness, like, you know, my least favorite, One of my least favorite phrases is things happen for a reason. Um. Because my whole deal is like, no, things just happen and it's messed up. It really sucks. And then you take what happened and you make reason of it. Like that's, that's what you do. And so that's conscious storytelling. And that's where we get the light, you know, we get to the hope. So yeah, that was conscious. (laughs) sneaky because i believe in the power of story
0: i think it's it's my favorite things when it's my favorite thing when stories are conscious when you understand that you know you're telling a story within a group of stories and that the story you know i I feel like i'm always into like the postmodern thought of how stories live forever and how stories are eternal and even the person writing it isn't eternal but still the story will live forever and i think that's something that star wars taps into and i think that you did that such a great job in this story about I was there were several times where I I just put it down and was like this is the story for me this is like what I've been talking about or wanting to (laughs) access within my brain for so long and I think it's because you of all these subconscious things or conscious decisions that you poured into this story so I just want to thank you for that
2: you're welcome. And <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so grateful. Because honestly, like whenever I write a thing or do a thing, I, my, my deal is if even just one person likes it or if it does something for them I'm happy and like you're just you're confirming that so like my work here is done <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we've at least got two people here that it did something for and I know many more I know many more but the two of us here definitely <laughs> Thank you so much.
2: I can't even that really it really makes because you never know because like I said Star Wars fans are great but they're also they can be real honest you know yeah um, and when they don't like a thing they don't like a thing so yeah. like oh and I've watched Dave over the last you know many years have to navigate it and you say that your first uh star wars in theater experience was the clone wars film and i think we know how that went <laughs> and like <laughs> uh, and like you know he came back from that there was like nowhere to go but up kind of
0: yeah from, yeah
2: from the reception that that got um we, we loved the clone wars movie just thank you gonna say <laughs> so- yeah, we yeah. I, really- I mean what's tricksy about the clone wars movie is that it was like Four episodes of the Clone Wars, or whatever, yeah. put together and then put into theaters, and from a fledgling animation studio, right. <laughs> and it was like I don't think it should be judged on the same level as some, like you know, a Pixar film, you guys. But yeah. um, uh, so that was like hard for for Dave, but he had like the backing and support of George and like such a great team that was working on it. So I mean, obviously, like it's all come back around and it's so joyful and great. But man, like a little bit, I'm like, oh no, this is like my
1: first like toe out. And if everybody likes it, I've got nowhere to go but down. Yeah. (laughs) that's not true, yeah. <laughs> it's, not true. <laughs> it's definitely honestly charlotte Knight, when we were talking about this we we're like when is she gonna write more <laughs> oh, <laughs> where's the <my> sequel <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. i would love to you know it's funny because i'm like resistant i'm like okay cool i wrote a short story and that's all i have to be in for and that's fine i can wrap my brain around that and then i've got like my other projects that i'm working on but sometimes i'll just be sitting and i'm like oh and then what if they go here and what if she's actually with this person like so it just like starts invading my brain yeah you know write it down tell us (laughs) hey Lucasfilm Publishing (laughs) do you guys want to
1: you guys want a full length book on this uh, because I'm ready I got nothing else to do in quarantine why was it important for Falta to be telling her own story rather than just another fairy tale
2: hmm well, I mean, I think she's working through the things, right? She's, yeah. she's got regrets, you know? And so it, it's sort of the version of, like, I've got this friend who, right? But she's really confessing her own <laughs> issues. Also, though, um, I get a little bit bored with that, like, third person, like, telling of a tale. And um, I find, I think that if I have a strength as a writer, it's um, other people's voices, So when I want to relay the really important information, I find that I turn to the character's voice rather than my own.
1: Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
2: I thought she was the best person to tell her story, you know? And then also it could be, of course, hypnotic and I could intersperse it with what she was doing to bug and, like, what she was trying to accomplish surreptitiously. So that was the tricksy thing there. I was just, it feels like, it, honestly, those parts are always easier to write. So it feels a little bit like, oh, I'm just going to hand this one over to you, Falta, because I'm tired, you know,
0: <laughs> that's
2: what it feels like in the writing process.
0: Totally. So, and just to kind of shift gears, mm-hmm. you're the reason why we have the amazing creature in the convoy, the space owl. I'm sure you're asked this all the time, but I want to ask it. <laughs> um we have heard about your unabashed love of owls and what is the what is the the deal with the owls what draws you to the owl as a figure a symbol
2: Dude, they're just I mean come on they're flying <laughs> catbirds. like they're so ridiculous <laughs> they like eat things whole and then barf them up and then you collect those barfs soak them in water and like take out a full rat skeleton. Like what's what's not to love? (laughs) Uh, They're so cool. Oh my God. They're so great. Um, But also I always loved that they were sort of like the, the, uh, the patron animal of Athena. Um, And I always just really loved her when I was reading my Greek mythology. And uh I just I like I like that they're creepy. I like that not everybody's into them. I like that people are afraid of them in some cultures they're harbingers of death. Um, they're just they're just great. I'm obsessed with them. It's like my weird old lady thing. I'm like elves. and now and that's also kind of become Corvid's and uh my longstanding relationship with crows. Which is really I mean, who doesn't
0: love crows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I mean you you've heard those things like of like little girl starts getting gifts from crows every day or whatever because she was feeding them, right? Do you did you mm-hmm. remember that when that was a thing? Yes. I've been feeding the crows in my neighborhood for probably 4 years now. And the only thing they've given me is like a slightly pecked maraschino cherry which <laughs> I have no idea where they got it. But it was obviously given to me because, like, a crow flew above my head, sat <laughs> on a wire. I was holding a nut <laughs> under that wire, and it dropped the cherry and then looked at me like, "So I get the nut now?" And I was like, "All right, cool. This is a trade. This is happening. They're starting to bring me things." And then I'm like, "This is it? Like, I don't get shiny like what? Yeah,
1: How so- long? How long ago was the cherry?
2: Dude, and the cherry was got probably like I don't know two years ago. They're really the crow's uh-huh. in my neighborhood are just selfish
1: yeah yeah <laughs> they sound a little manipulative like one cherry every couple years
2: yeah, you know what they yell at me now like i'll just be my <laughs> own this, like sit and play an animal crossing or whatever and i'll hear like and i'm like oh i see you want a nut um, <laughs> it's not a it's not a good relationship i need to wean myself off of it but but owls have always been my friends and and <laughs> When Dave and I actually first moved up to, um, for him to work at Lucasfilm, we were living uh, a little bit south of here, and we would go on these walks, there's this long path out to a beach, and there were a bunch of eucalyptus trees there, and great horned owls would nest there, and their ridiculous fluffy babies would Mm -hmm. be in the trees just yelling, because they don't have any chill whatsoever when they're babies, and so they're just, like, yelling to be fed, and we would just do a bunch of owl watching, and it was... Really, it solidified my love of owls, and um, and Dave, it was like the best thing that Dave and I did. I think when we first moved up here, it was the best fun and bonding activity.
1: Yeah, how can that's you not true. fall in love with fluffy little owl babies? Too, yeah, you know, it's so demanding. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think um, I would regret if we didn't ask you what you think about the last shot of the Clone Wars with the convor overhead and Vader. Forget about it, man. <laughs>
2: I don't even deserve to be in that. Like when I see it, I do a little bit feel like I'm in the shot, you know? Um, And I'm like, it just blows me away. And I love it though, too, because he's there and it's just, she's, the Convore is always to me like that spirit of Ahsoka and that spirit too, though, of like what's best in Anakin. So yeah, when, when she appears, I'm like, also there's the hope. There it is, you know, like. Someone still loves that guy, and ultimately, it's like Luke's love, right, that saves him.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so, like, and Luke isn't the only one who loves
1: him. Yeah, yeah. but uh, and like, Ahsoka's still out there. Like that, that, that good piece of Anakin is in Ahsoka, and it's yeah. it's still out there doing good things for the galaxy. Like, there, there is something really hopeful and and lovely about that, even amidst kind of seeing Darth Vader himself there.
2: That's beautifully put. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Oh, I just I. <laughs> When I think about that ending shot, I just I get chills. I think it's it's so perfect. It's, so perf- it's perfect.
2: <laughs> I know those last four. I mean, I I th- I love the whole last season. Um, Same, love it. But those last four, man, forget about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean the la- the last shot is just so perfect. I think with the the helmet, oh oh, oh, with Vader's reflection in it, with the Ahsoka markings, it's just. It's Caitlin says it. She's like, it is the Clone Wars in one single shot. Just so beautiful. Yeah. And I, and then also to have more eye above, it's just like, Oh my God, this is perfect. Like, imagine, this is so
1: good.
2: I imagine that we almost didn't have that ending at all.
1: I can't. I know. I can't. And yet
2: at the same time, I really think that we get this ending and it's what you're saying. Like that's so perfect because of the interim, you know, because of like things that Dave learned working on rebels and different ways that he held character and what their purpose was. Like I don't know that we would get this without almost never having it. So once yeah. again,
1: there's a silver lining, and I don't know who I am because I've been talking about positive crap all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that whole thing is just—it's so interesting because Charlotte and I were those people that were like, "It like there's not going to like they're not going to finish the Clone Wars. Like it's just we moved on. Yeah. We need to mourn and move on and yeah. like." move on and then it coming back and then like we said like this is like a cornerstone like clone is a cornerstone of our fandom and so then like getting to talk about it on like our podcast as like friends it was it was just it was really meaningful so on that level we're just so incredibly grateful to have that final season me
2: too i'm so glad i'm just glad for everybody i'm glad for all of us
1: yeah exactly me too Okay. So we've kind of reached the end of our, our episode and we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we do end all of, we end our show by asking all of our guests the same question and we call it our Star Wars dinner party question. And so we ask what five Star Wars characters would you want to have dinner with? And the goal here is good conversation, or I guess you could have a different goal, but usually our goal is good conversation.
2: I see. <laughs> this is so hard you guys this right because so <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about it right and um cause I love that the goal is good conversation because my initial impulse was like well just the droids because then all the snacks are for me um which is so rude um and then <laughs> and, but and then I was like no because you know that like 3PO would sit there and have all these annoying, like facts about calorie counts, oh my God. and then like Chopper would just be all like bo and like throwing things around, and I'd be annoyed with him. And like, so I'm like, no, the droids won't work. So, <laughs> um, Bo-Katan, <laughs> obviously for narcissistic reasons, but also um, because I just feel like she's always running around, never has time for a meal, just eating space rations, and I just mm-hmm. want her to be able to, to sit down. And tell me how she really feels. Like, she's that, Bo-Katan's that girl I want to sit down and be like, come on, man, just cry about your sister.
0: <laughs> like, just mm-hmm. let it let go. It out, yeah. Let it
2: go and have some pie. Like, it's going to be fine. So her, um, Leia, and for me, Leia is inextricable from Carrie Fisher. They're kind of the same moxie and wisdom and fight, you know? So, I mean, who doesn't want to sit there and talk to her and just, like, learn from her? Um Lando. And at first I was like, like, young Lando or old mm. Lando? And then I was like, this is getting weird, and Dave's not gonna appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized both Lando's because he would just he you would can. the best space wine, you know, he would bring the best space wine to the party, and he'd just be he like would. Yeah, and he's just so smooth and like, I just want to hang out with that guy. Um, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> I want R2 around because I do want a droid and I love him and I think R2 might um of like original Star Wars be my favorite (laughs) original Star Wars character um and he would just be like helpful I'm sure yeah I I don't know we could give him like some oil and bolts like what do droids eat?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's on the menu
2: for R2? (laughs) And I know that's not really necessarily great conversation but that's also the beauty of R2 is that you feel like like he uh you understand what he's saying even though you don't understand what he's saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he would punctuate like all of the like sassy things that Princess Leia would say and then like Lando would like make a joke and you'd be like oh, oh Lando you're so great can I give you some more wine? And then, <laughs> and then Bo would just be like scowling at everyone and we'd be like having dueling bitch faces across the table. <laughs> And this yes. is like a big bone of contention, frankly, with me, because the first time I saw Bo-Katan, I'm like, yeah, that looks like me. But why does she have resting rich face? And, <laughs> and I'm like, OK, fine. OK, fine. <laughs> not all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what? Oh, that's That's really hard. I love Hera a lot. Yes. I think she's so smart and like has a wicked sense of humor. And I think she could go... Like, like. don't you want to see her in land? Yes, yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> is
1: that my five? Yeah.
0: Today? Am I five?
1: Yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I did, I
0: did the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you did the thing.
1: And it was great. <laughs> I want to be at that dinner. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. The thing is, Charlotte and I have to come to all the dinners that our guests have. So, like, we're, we're there too. We <laughs> have a lot of dinners.
2: That's yeah. A, yeah. No, you guys are totally welcome to my dinner. I just want to... I just want there to be a time when this is all behind us and we can have like real dinner together at a celebration, because that would be delightful for me because you, you're just wonderful. And it's so much fun to see you in person and have this conversation and many more nerdy conversations about all the topics that I'm sure we could cover
1: yes let's
2: <laughs> a
1: date in 2022 yes. <laughs> yes, can't wait please. it would be so fun i'll i'll bring like some architecture books and then we'll see cool mythology, and maybe we'll have a new story from you too it'll, it'll oh, be so much fun <laughs> That was
0: awesome. well and thank you so much i feel like we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours because you are a wealth of knowledge and have so much insight but time <laughs> and
2: I'm gonna, and I'm gonna watch, walk out of here with like the biggest head usually I'm standing behind Dave with like my giant needle to like poke his head down to size <laughs> I'm <just> gonna, like, <laughs> floating through the rest of my evening because you've been so kind to me and I'm I can't I can't express how nice it is for my first conversation like real conversation on since publication day and this book coming out and the story coming out um to hear your excitement about it it means the world to me
0: Oh, well, it's it's the truth. I'm serious when I say it's my favorite. It's mm-hmm. so good. And we need more. Yes. <laughs> if it's not more of this story, then we need another story from you because I think you get it. And I, I <laughs> love it. <laughs> so Oh, thank you. So Anne, do you want to promote anything where people can find you?
2: Yeah, no, I mean my like my like website isn't up yet. I mean, you can I mean y'all can find me. Ian Convery on Instagram, which is where I lurk the most and have lots of really good um dog content.
1: Yes, can, can confirm. Does. Can confirm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, it's mostly dogs, sassy mugs, and t-shirts, and the occasional like embarrassing, surreptitious picture of Dave that he doesn't <laughs> know about because he's not really like on Instagram. On Instagram, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's if that's the stuff that floats your boat, go to my Instagram. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Anne, again. And um, if you're listening and you haven't read Anne's story yet, bug 10 for 10. Go out and get the whole anthology. The whole anthology is great, and especially Anne's story. And thank you so much, Anne. May the force be with you. Oh, uh,
2: And also with you. Mike.
1: Okay. So that was our interview with Anne Convery. um, If you couldn't hear, I was like vibrating off my chair with how much I was loving talking to her and Charlotte too. So see if you can pick up on that throughout the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we had such a great time, as we said at the top of the show. And just now, if you haven't read Anne's story yet or the entire anthology, it's a beautiful book for your collection. And the storytelling within it is Top notch. So I hope you guys go out and pick it up if you haven't, and that you enjoyed our, in- our uh, interview with Anne. And if you want to talk to us more online, just the Sky Talkers, you can find us at Sky Talkers Pod on Twitter or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. You can also find us on skytalkers.com, Instagram, Facebook, your social media preference we're probably there already and uh, if you haven't left us a review on itunes yet we would really love if you took a second to go and do that it helps other people find our show and freak out over the myriad of star wars things that we all love to obsess over (laughs) and if you're looking for other ways to support us you can also head on over to our patreon
0: Yes, absolutely. Our Patreon, we have an amazing Discord if you're interested in joining us. Um, and I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Erica, Aaron, Demi, Hunter, Allison, Timothy, Ashley, Albert, Josh, Brandon, Rebuild, Matt, Jordan, Eunice, Camille, Fiorella, Debo, and Marty. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world.
1: Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you you.